Ari Rosenbaum here with the final uh, Net 401k podcast of 2022. Uh, this week's topic, we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions for 401k plan sponsors. You know, I can't believe 2023 is right here upon us. Of course, first things first, that 401k site.com for further information on all our events. Uh, National Conference, 26th, 27th of January. Sign up, $2.23 to be a part of it. Then we have, of course, um, some other um, uh, events, obviously live events, April 14th, Oakland, California, May the 3rd, Detroit, Rock City, Comerica Park. Um, we'll have a date soon for Texas. We will have a date, uh, hopefully, for a June event in New York. And uh, we'll see where we're taking it. We're probably going to do Milwaukee in September. i got to get to my 30 ballparks, and I'm at 24. So if I do three or four um, this year, then... I only have to do a couple next year and actually it'll be 2024, but uh, uh, a lot of fun uh, information uh, to sign up. Uh, it's all for you there at 401ksite.com. And, um, you know, uh, great uh, events, great content. Uh, again, the, the virtual conference will have two days, four hours apiece probably, uh, the way it's going. And, uh, of course, you sign up. You can't make it for part of it. It will be eventually on YouTube for all the world to see. But uh, it's a great, uh, great uh, you know, opportunity to learn a lot from a lot of great people in this space. So let's talk about it. New Year's resolutions. I, um, I really don't make any. I don't really believe in that kind of stuff. There was one time I, I kind of think I made a New Year's resolution, and it, it dealt with... Um, 1989 into 1990, I was like five foot four and like 170-something pounds, actually 180 pounds, if I go, or something like 179 or something like that. And um, in those days, um, there was uh, Tommy Lasorda was hawking slim fast. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I never really had a good idea about diets and I'm like, oh, that sounds good. You drink a chocolate shake twice a day, have a meal at the end, and you know, you should be fine. And um, you know, lo and behold, in, in you know about three months, I was down forty something pounds, forty two pounds that it was. And I remember it was January fourth, nineteen nineties, when I started my diet. Um, and for most of the time, I've been able to keep it off. There was that time and. Um, 2014 to 18, where I was just not well, I, I gained all of it back and, and then some. In 2019, I, I lost it again. And here in 2022, it's it's still a struggle. So, you know, they always talk about losing weight and obesity and all that kind of stuff. And my feeling about weight is it's really easy to lose it. The hard part is keeping it off. And, you know, it's just got to change yourself, you know. And back then when I was a 17-year-old, it was the French fries that were killing me. Um, now it's it's the bread. It's, you know, I, 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 had a, uh, I had a physical, I remember, in 2017, and I was uh, pre-diabetes, and I was, you know, had a fatty liver. And it was all because I was eating, you know, rice and bagels and all that kind of, you know, stuff and cut out the bagels and still eat a little bread here and there. But, uh, you know, always trying to keep it off, always a struggle. But like I said, New Year's resolutions, some people have them. And I think for a plant sponsor, it's really important to keep them uh, to minimize the fiduciary liability. 
Uh, I, uh, in terms of resolutions, number one, I, I think it's important for plan sponsors to keep all their plan documents. You know, so many years in this business, I'm just still shocked how plan sponsors don't have copies of all their plan documents and amendments. And it's always a problem because the IRS comes from the uh, belief that if you don't have them, it was never done. So, you know, saying your dog ate your, you know, uh, rollover amendment when we increase the, you know, uh, increase the, not, not increase the cash out rule, but had the uh, uh, limit to 1000 and the uh, automatic rollover for the cash out provision. You can't say, oh, you know, I did that amendment or I did the final 401k uh, regs uh, back then or the, you know, just all these different changes and all these ancillary amendments. And if you don't have them, the IRS takes position was never done. And also, uh, it's not only to show the IRS that it was uh, there, you also need it as a blueprint because sometimes things go awry. Um, I always talk about, you know, this uh, short stint I did at a union law firm and I was looking at the uh, at a union plan and I had to look to the original ERISA plan from 1976 to see where things went awry in terms of protected benefits and in terms of uh, um, uh, a situation. I, if I recall, you know, there was um, a, a benefit for a participant who left and it just was, you know, just a whole lot of nonsense. And in this day and age, um, everything can be kept on PDF. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, the IRS with original documents, the only time they ever wanted original documents in all my years is on a certificate of resolution to terminate a plan. That's where they need a, a wet signature. But outside of that, PDF works well. Uh, I would still keep the signature pages that are authentic. Uh, you know, it's so easy. Uh, we, we don't have to have a file cabinet anymore. We can simply have it um, on the drive uh, and easy to access and easy to email. And there's no excuse for a plan sponsor not to have all the plain documents. And surprisingly, you know, they don't. <laughs> um, next, keeping good plan records. Um, keeping good, good good records really can determine whether uh, a plan sponsor can win or lose in litigation. I'm all in favor of something I call uh, papering the process and, um, you know, protecting your litigation is to have records of all the decision making, you know, replacing funds and, and whatnot. And I always talk about that law firm that I was at, didn't review their plan for 10 years, didn't review investments. Uh, and that was problematic. And, all decisions, in my opinion, have to be, uh, you know, looked at and 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 and, and approved and whatnot, and uh, it's got to be all there. I've I've been on Department of Labor audits in the past where you know they ask how are you know plan providers hired, and if you don't have records, you just can't go to the Department of Labor and say, you know what, I I really don't know why they picked it, you know, it just doesn't look uh, good. Um, you know, records don't change and, you know, uh, if their plan sponsor is keeping the, you know, end of their bargain, uh, you know, they need to have records that back up what they've decided 
and um, you know I've been in situations where um, in in terms of keeping uh, plan records you have participants who got paid out their benefit come back 15 20 years later and say oh wait wait a second I, I didn't get paid my benefit and the plan sponsor really has no records and that's a problem people may get a second benefit duplication uh, just because you know there are no records there whatsoever so I think that that's a problem next Obviously, review of ERISA bond fiduciary liability insurance. Um, you know, to me, it's it's like checking, uh, you know, air filter for your furnace and um, carbon monoxide alarms. Uh, make sure that uh, the ERISA bond is still sufficient for plan assets. Um, you know, the plan grows, and if it's not 10% or whatnot or up to the maximum, that could be a problem. Uh, also, obviously, fiduciary liability insurance is not required, but it's something that, you know, needs to be done, um, you know, in my opinion, once you have uh, non-owner employees in the plan. I've, uh, you know, had clients who've been sued in the past, and fiduciary liability insurance goes a long way in, in curbing uh, expenses. You know, if you have a $100,000 deductible in litigation, I, I had a client we didn't represent, but they had a million dollars. In litigation expenses, the fiduciary liability insurance covered $900,000 of it, which is substantial, especially for not-for-profit. Um, reviewing plan expenses, um, I think it's an important part of what a plan sponsor should do, and they just don't do it. They just take that fee disclosure form, put it in the back of the drawer, and that's it. It doesn't work that way. You know, if you want to pay more in life, for certain things, I, I, I bring I bring up uh, with a cousin of mine. Uh, she had an Apple IIc, I had an Apple IIe, and there was this really good uh, program called Print Shop where you design signs and you print it out. It was pretty cool. And um, the problem was, um, you know, I think I bought my Print Shop for thirty-two bucks for the five and a quarter inch disc. And my cousin, my uncle, paid sixty bucks for it. It's the very same, you know, very same program. That was that was what he wanted to do. He liked to overpay for things. Probably why he entered entered into bankruptcy at one point. But uh, that's neither here nor there. If you want to pay extra for things in life, you can do that. You know, when we had contractors here and we we didn't um, check the fees out of what it was to build an addition to a house or to put in another bathroom. That was on us, but you know, when you're a plan sponsor, you're a plan fiduciary, and one of your duties is to only pay reasonable plan expenses, that could get a little dicey. And so that's why it's important for plan sponsors to benchmark fees, uh, look at competitors, see how much they're charging for similar services. Um, you know, you, you can't put these fee disclosures in the back of the drawer like a lot of plan sponsors do. Obviously, reviewing plan providers. Um, the problem with plan providers, obviously, is uh, they may be responsible for errors. Plan sponsors are, uh, you know, problematic. Um, retirement plan sponsors, uh, employers really need to know what their, you know, plan providers are actually doing. They need to know they're not screwing things up. They need to know that they're doing their job. Um, and that may take an outside party to do that, to review it. But, uh, you know... If you have a TPA with having issues on the compliance end, if you have an ERISA attorney who forgot the latest restatement, 
these are huge problems and huge concerns that, uh, you know, uh, should be looked at. While you may uh, say that uh, it's unfair, um, ERISA and the uh, Internal Revenue Code create great responsibility for the plan sponsors to comply with. It's up to the plan sponsors to determine whether they're serious or not and their duties as a plan fiduciary. So, you know, looking over the shoulders of a plan provider, in my opinion, goes a long way to making sure that a plan sponsor is knowing what the heck they're doing um, and, and, you know, know what the plan providers are doing as well. Uh, there's, you know, uh, again, I've always said I don't like surprises. And I don't need to know that somebody goofed when, you know, if I was a plan sponsor and the TPA did the, uh, you know, top-heavy test incorrectly and there's a, you know, uh, and there's a uh, top-heavy minimum contribution owed from like three years ago, uh, I, I that, that's a surprise I don't like. I need to know now um, and, and not deal with problems later. And obviously in some situations where you have a ADP failure, there's some changes like refunds that are open now that will be closed two or three years from now when they're you know, discovered when there was a change of TPA or the plan's terminating or the plan's being audited. Last but not least, I think it's important for plan sponsors to realize what they can't handle and really let out, you know, let there be outsourcing. I remember um, James Holland, I think, was one of the first 338s I ever met. Um, it really seemed to be a game changer, um, as well as 316 services. Uh, fiduciary services, uh, white glove treatment for plan sponsors that just don't want the burden of, you know, being a part of, uh, you, know, you know, the whole job of being a plan sponsor. They don't want to do it. So let someone else do it. So they can delegate that. And that's been one great proliferation over the last, um, you know, 12 years that I, I think has been an excellent, excellent change on the retirement plan space because it's all about reducing uh, fiduciary liability exposure. And I think the industry has done a pretty good job over the last 12 years to bring up that issue about fiduciary liability. You know, 12 years ago, people like James Holland and I get stoned by, there was this one guy and the LinkedIn news groups were pretty popular. There was this one guy who wasn't even in the retirement plan space. He worked with brokers and he said that Guys like James and I were selling fear because, you know, plan sponsors just didn't get sued. And of course, we've had the proliferation of lawsuits. We've had the Department of Labor that has really been energized to really help plan participants out. We've had fee disclosure, like you know, uh, regulations. So you know, James and I were kind of ahead of the curve back in the day. And um, you know, this fiduciary liability talk reminds me back in the day when I was a kid when. Uh, it was a big deal for people to learn what their blood pressure was. And then later now today it's you know, what's your cholesterol level? And we've had that for like the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, luckily talking about health wise again, um, you know, <laughs> when I was unhealthy about four years ago, my cholesterol was actually around 200. And I think now it's about, I don't know, 170. Um, I think the lowest it's ever been was like back in the day, like you know, 20 years ago, it was like, 135 or something like that but uh, anyway it's not here to brag it's just just uh, that's something that always uh, concerns me when you have a family history of uh, heart you know heart issues and whatnot but I think that uh, 
a good plan sponsor is someone who's honest. They know what their limitations are. And when they know what their limitations are, uh, a 316 or 338 is the way to go to, you know, just dump that off. Of course, a pooled employer plan is also another option as well that should be considered. So that's it for this short episode of that 401k podcast. You know, like I said last episode, I had, you know, bank to this week. Uh, you know, end of the year is a little bit crazy. So um, I hope you enjoyed this episode and come next week uh, for the t- first episode of 2023. Take care. Thanks. Bye.